We've got bonds lower heading into the meeting, not even waiting around to hear from the Fed chair. The trend of higher yields continues. Michael Shaul joins us, chairman, CEO and portfolio manager and market field asset management. Michael, welcome back to the show. Good morning. So let's talk about this move first. Mike, I know you're a long term guy. You think big picture. But what the heck? We're already rallying yields and down and bonds ahead of this FOMC. Is this a very nervous, panicky market? What should we think about this? No, I, I think there's a persistent outflow from long duration treasuries, um, you know, I think ahead of, of what people anticipate is going to be a, a, a very strong summer for growth um, and the risk of, of some significant inflation being attached. You know, the, the question is, is, is not really what is the Fed going to say, but more what's the market going to react to it? You know, I, th I think we have you know, it's a reasonable assumption that, that Jay Powell is, is going to defend current Fed policy. Um, you know, I think the Fed is going to echo the comments coming out of the Treasury and Janet Yellen, but the idea that, you know, we may see, well, we will see definitely a big base effect in inflation, and we may see some direct inflationary effects from reopening, particularly in, in the service sector, but that this is going to be a, a transitory, that it's going to come and it's going to go. And in 2022, things are going to be back to normal. And if we average inflation out between 2019, 20, 21, um, everything's going to look just fine. Um, you know, I, I, I personally think that is a, a much too optimistic um, view of the world. Um, you know, I, I do believe in, in the unintended consequences of policy. And generally, you know, the size of the unintended consequences correlated with the size of the policy. So, you know, we've just enacted a, a record fiscal stimulus at a time that the U.S. economy, you know, really is doing okay. It's apparently politically incorrect to do so. But, but, but outside of sectors directly affected by COVID, the economy is doing fine. So I think the last thing we needed was a very large, very broad stimulus. And frankly, monetary policy looks increasingly out of whack with what's happening in the underlying economy. It's just become necessary to keep the nerve of the financial markets intact. And so, you know, you, you put, you know, the scale of activity on the stimulus side, you know, you know into historic context. Like, you know, I, I think we have a recipe here for, for um, you know, the kind of unintended consequences that we haven't seen since the late 1960s, which was really the last time that the U.S. shifted out of a very long period of, of persistent low inflation, you know, wasn't viewed as a problem at the time, unlike today, and, and, and ended up in a, in a period of, of much stickier and spikier inflation than anybody had thought was possible. When do you think we might see some of this uh, in earnest, where we know that the comparables for inflation are going to be very easy to create some big numbers here over sure. the next couple months but what to you will be early evidence that they are actually sticky and this is not something transitory yeah well it's obviously going to be about the month over month increases not the year over year increases you know a year over year increase right. that simply tells you you went down a lot in march april and may you know isn't going to be you know you know very interesting but but you know if you look at sort of where PPI and where import and export prices are, you know, they're already up year over year in February. So that's pre-COVID. So, you know, on the input side, we all already have evidence of inflation. You know, what we what we tend to call reflation because it's only on the in, only on the input side. The question is going to be on the output side at the, at the CPI and PCE level. 
you know, are we going to see parts of the parts of parts parts of those indexes really break out to new highs above their levels where they were where they were pre-COVID, and are they going to be able to accelerate from the you know from that point you know from that point on? Um, you know, I, I think they are. I mean, certainly on the physical side of the economy, not, not just food and energy, which, which will get stripped out of core, you know, but anything to do with the manufacturing and sale of, of physical goods looks to be straightforwardly inflationary at this point in time. And, and my assumption is that the, the reopening of the service sector, which I think is going to happen very, very, very rapidly, is going to happen at a time of tremendous excess savings. You know, the pricing power of the leisure and hospitality industries, which is where the real deflation is, is lurking in the data, the pricing power is going to be remarkable. Um, so, you know, I, I really think we can see some quite gaudy month-over-month -month increases in that sort of May through September period. Mm -hmm. And then the big question is, is going to be, is this just a flash in the pan, you know, which kind of comes and goes and, you know, you sort of undershot pricing power this year, last year, you're going to overshoot it for a few months and then you're going to go back to some kind of normal equilibrium or, or have we simply shifted into a you know a period of higher inflation expectations and grace and greater pricing power at the corporate you know at the corporate level and, and as i say i you know frankly i've anticipated the latter for a few years and it hasn't happened yet um you know but 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 you keep on adding zeros to the numbers you know the odds of it happening you right. know go up and up and up so the odds uh, of it happening, I think, are a very interesting thing to consider in the context of a bond investor right now, where it just seems that even if uh, we don't know if it's transitory or sticky yet, that the kind of pot odds of being long bonds are very unfavorable to being short bonds in this period. And so that leads me to wonder, Michael, how in maybe just the next call it five, six months, three, six months or so, if we're going to need anything concrete on the inflationary front to justify the move in yields or if yields will continue to go basically until there's some counteracting force by the Fed because it seemed last time Jay Powell spoke when as soon as he said that I'm not worried about the yield move bam that's exactly on the moment where we had yield spike again and markets dropped are we learning something yeah, here yeah. about what we need from Powell you know, to stop the move you know, I, I think in terms of the way the bond market prices inflation expectations, those numbers look quite high. But if, if we simply look at nominal yields, and as I say, I'm, I'm a fairly simple guy at the end of the day, I like to look at the nominal 10-year yield and where it is versus inflation. And it's roughly normal. You know, the 10-year yield is, is only slightly above CPI year over year. And over the last decade, which is this really when we've had deflation or low inflation from 2011 onwards, um, you know, the 10-year has typically been in a range of minus 100 to plus 100 basis points, you know, versus, versus headline CPI year over year. So I, I think the bond market's only neutral. I think what the bond market has done is reprice away the risk of deflation. Mm -hmm. From this point on last year through the summer, the market took a very deflationary view. And even though the equity market, you know, S&P got back to 3,000, hmm. um, you know, 10-year yields were still hovering around the sort of 50, 60 basis point level, um, you know, towards the end of last summer. Since that time, yields are up maybe 100 basis points, but all that's done is repriced away, away deflation. But there's plenty of room for the long end of the curve to move higher. Um, you know, you know. Frankly, even if CPI was only in the low, you know, was only in the low twos, you know, a ten-year in the twos and CPI in the twos, you know, wouldn't be, you know, 
you know, you wouldn't say yields were quote unquote too high. They just look uncomfortably high for anybody who'd like sat long bonds for that period of time. Michael, with the Fed's relationship to the bond market, we don't really know quite yet if there's a pain threshold that will be reached. I've had folks on the show say that they will expect twist talks to begin around 1.75%. Do we have any idea or do you as an investor have to think about where potentially the Fed would step in? Do you want to wager when that yeah. might be? Uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a yield level. I think the two things the Fed's going to care about is, number one, the quality of Treasury auctions. Remember, the Fed cannot buy in a Treasury auction, and the Treasury needs to be able to issue very large amounts of bonds to fund to fund the, the deficits that we're going to see. So quality of Treasury auctions, bid-to-cover ratios, reactions of yields around auctions, very, very important. If they start to get messier than they are today, I think the odds of twists go up. And the other is 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 going to be broad financial conditions. If we start to see credit spreads suffer as yields move higher, which has not happened at all so far, it's been the opposite so far, then again, I think the odds of twist go up. Um, you know, the next point I'd make is the reaction of the market to twist is very important. Um, does the long end of the curve respect what the Fed does? Uh, if the long end of the curve does, does the dollar take the hit? Um, you know, for investors to say, look, you're, you're simply, the Fed is going to make sure that you get undercompensated for the inflation risk by Treasury yields. You know, by definition, that's effectively what twist, twist is doing. Do you still want to be long the dollar at this point in, you know, you know, at this point in time? Do commodity markets go nuts in response to something like that? So as I say, it, it is, you know, the idea of the Fed being all powerful um, you know, it, you know, it, it's true at certain points and, and less true in others. The Fed is very, very powerful in a position that we had last March where everybody's selling everything and spreads have blown out wide and, you know, financial markets are in chaos. The Fed is very, very powerful in that kind of a situation. It's much mm. less powerful when the facts on the ground are what's driving the market high. Mm. So the ability to suppress uh, rates maybe being an easier one, uh, obviously, when the economy is in trouble as opposed to trying to prevent it when things are heating up. Michael, from an investment standpoint, obviously, you know, I've talked to home builders a lot, which has been one of the big trades you've been very correct on. I know last time around you mentioned that some of the tailwinds, particularly here for rates, might start to ebb somewhat. But um, is that still a trade that makes sense if you're talking about potential for the Fed not controlling that long end and yields rising and maybe making that way into mortgages at some point? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen any problems yet. You know, so far, the mortgage rate sort of got rid of about half of the of the Treasury increase. And you do also have a possibility, you know, in, in the early 2000s, when yields move higher, people did shift into variable rate mortgages. And, and, you know, assuming the Fed keeps the short end very low for a very long period of time, which I think is a given. Um, you know, variable rate mortgages would be possible. Um, you know, we would have some concerns about margin pressures. So far, the builders have been able to pass those costs on. Uh, you know, so they say, I, I, I think housing's gone from a must-own to a can-own. You know, what we would favor, you know, in addition to housing is just broad cyclical exposure, you know, very broad exposure to commodities in general, um, not just industrial, but agricultural and, and you know, and energy. Um, you know, the, the, you know the, the people who supply the tools to dig it out of the ground, the people who supply the logistics to, you know, to transport it, the manufacturing of physical goods and, and you know, the selling of physical goods. You know, I, I think it's the, the physical goods economy looks 
really, really powerful on a, on a global level. And the big risk going forwards is a combination of, of, of critical shortages of components, semiconductors being one obvious one, um, and, and logistics and pricing pressures getting in the way of margins. But the, the demand side for that kind of stuff um, looks remarkably strong. Okay. Uh, Michael, always good to get your thoughts here. Appreciate you joining us and looking forward to uh, uh, catching you. up post-Fed. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Michael Shell is the chairman, CEO, and portfolio manager at Market Field Asset Management.